Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. Welcome to the end of the year holiday episode of the Data Show podcast. In this episode, I sat down with Jen Webb. She is the managing editor of O'Reilly Online. And we spent the episode talking about trends in big data, machine learning, and AI, especially what to look for in 2019. But I also uh, took this opportunity to highlight some of the things we'll be showcasing at our two conferences next year, the Strata Data Conference and the Artificial Intelligence Conference. I hope you enjoyed the episode. All right, so this is our holiday episode. Happy holidays, everyone, uh, wherever you are and however you celebrate it. So in this episode, we're going to take a look back at the year, but also more importantly, uh, look forward to 2019. So I have with me Jen Webb, who's our managing editor for the O'Reilly Radar and O'Reilly Ideas blog. So Jen Webb will now turn the tables on you. I'm looking forward to this, Ben. So let's open with sort of a broad question to get us started. What are some things that surprised you this year from the data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence spaces? So I think that one is just the progress in the tools themselves. So uh, the tools just keep getting better. They keep getting easier to use. And then the amount of shared resources online continues to grow. So not only kind of uh, through our conferences, but there's also all these uh, resources online, free courses and things like that so people can learn. So, you know, as far as if you're, if you're someone who wants to use data, data infrastructure, data science, machine learning, and AI, we're really at the point where there's a lot of tools for uh, the class of people who I would call implementers, right? So developers. They're not necessarily doing research and development. They just want to build better products and automate workflows. So I think that's the most significant development in my mind. And then I think that the sharing also cuts across, for example, at our conferences, people are sharing how they're using it in their businesses. So the use cases are getting better defined. So particularly for some of these uh, technologies that are relatively new to the broader uh, data community like deep learning. So there's now use cases that touch the types of problems people normally tackle, right? So like uh, things that involve structured data, for example, for time series forecasting or recommenders. So with that said, so we are in kind of this uh, implementation phase, but uh, I think the, as people who follow the space will attest, there's still a lot of uh, interesting things coming out of the R&D world. So still a lot of uh, Great innovation and a, a lot more, a, a lot more growth in terms of how uh, sophisticated and how easy to use these technologies will be. So uh, it sounds a little bit like we're approaching sort of a democratization of of the data science tools. Would you say that's true? Yes, definitely. I mean, I think if you look back, so when I first started following the deep learning community, so this would be circa 2012, 2013. 
So the resurgence in AI really you can trace back to 2011, 2012, when uh, groups developed record-breaking models based on deep learning for speech recognition and computer vision. And uh, back then, so around circa 2013, very small community, tools were hard to use. Uh, in order to learn, you essentially had to apprentice in one of these groups. And so much, much harder to kind of get into the space. But now there's a lot more information out there. More importantly, the tools are, are easier to use and there's more of them. And there's more uh, expertise scattered across the world, not just in certain concentrated in certain geographic locations. So yes, so democratization for sure is is happening. So, and would you would you say that the democratization is sort of a sign of a particularly disruptive time in the space, or is it more of a sign that we're reaching some sort of a stable level of maturity? I think that there's still some disruption left because there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit in terms of, uh, of applications uh, that people can uh, use data, machine learning, and AR for. So, I mean, while it is true that we, we have an explosion in the amount of data being generated. The fact of the matter is a lot of that data is not being uh, uh, collected, cleaned, and, and formatted so that it can be used for analytics. So in fact, we have a couple of surveys that we're releasing early in 2019. And in one of these surveys, we asked people, what's the main bottleneck uh, as far as adopting these technologies? So Interestingly enough, so the main the main bottleneck was cultural issues, right? So people uh, uh, were still having facing challenges in terms of convincing people within their companies to adopt these technologies. And then, of course, the next two are the ones that we're familiar with, which is lack of data and lack of skilled people. And then the fourth reason people cited was uh, trouble identifying uh, business use cases. But what's interesting about that is if you then ask people how mature is your practice and you look at the people with the most mature AI and machine learning practice, they still uh, cite lack of data as the main reason. So what that tells me is that there's still a lot of opportunity there for people to apply these technologies within their companies. But there's a lot of foundational work that people have to do in terms of uh, just getting data in place, getting data collected and ready for analytics. Right. And so looking at the the jobs, you mentioned skills gaps. What are you seeing on that front? Like, how are the job roles changing and evolving? So I think that when we started the Strata Conference many years ago, the Strata Data Conference, I think one of the uh, motivations there was to organize a gathering place for what was then an emerging role of data scientists and data engineers. And so I think those are still the main areas where people are uh, needing help. LinkedIn did a survey a few years ago and they found there was a surplus of data scientists. They refreshed that survey, uh, or not survey, that study this year, and they found there's now a massive demand for data scientists. And we found the same thing in our survey, but we also found demand for a lot of the other roles that are technical, but not concentrated on the modeling and the algorithmic phases, right? So uh, like data engineers, data ops, DevOps, and even people who are experts at data visualization and things like that. So I think you can't just hire a bunch of data scientists. You have to hire a kind of a team of people 
that can build you the tools you need, collect the data you need in order to really get serious about using analytics and machine learning and AI. I want to shift some gears now too, because we've got events that we hold in China as well. And you've spent some time over there and you've been looking at that landscape for the past couple of years. What does the data and AI landscape look like over there and how does it compare with the U.S.? They are quicker to adopt technologies than the U.S., I think, is the high-level observation. And part of it is just the landscape of China in that it's a very competitive landscape. So you can have an idea and then overnight you'll have many copycats. So you have to move fast. You have to uh, use whatever uh, advantages, uh, uh, take advantage of whatever you have. So if you have more users, then you should take uh, advantage of those users in terms of the data they're generating and improve your service, right? So this is what Andrew Ong uh, refers to as that uh, AI flywheel, right? So the more users you have, the better your model, so the better your product, and then uh, the more users you get. So I think number one, they move faster in terms of adopting technologies. In fact, there's some recent examples of that even in the area of, let's say, reinforcement learning, right? So there's a new project out of UC Berkeley Rice Lab called Ray, and we've been running tutorials on Ray at our AI conference in the U.S. And uh, in China, the companies are already deploying this uh, Ray in production, right? So the, there, I attended the first Ray meetup and... Uh, Ant Finance, which is one of the largest unicorn in the world, already has Ray in production in multiple use cases. And so I think that, you know, this one, uh, the other thing is, of course, they have a big market that's self-contained. So you can scale to many, many users at once. And uh, we are still living in a data-hungry environment as far as the machine learning models that we're using. So, So that's an advantage in terms of being able to scale up to many more users. And uh, to the extent that we're, as I described earlier, to the extent that we're in the implementation phase, I think uh, China is well positioned as well in terms of uh, because uh, you don't need to be you don't need the the most leading edge, cutting edge R&D. A lot of the uh, there's a lot of things that you can productize and turn into product. And and uh, you're in an environment that uh, encourages you to move fast to do that. So the adoption rate, the competitive market, the size of the market are advantages. Right. So I guess one of the things that uh, people have pointed out is maybe the, the diversity in the data might mean that it can be harder for the Chinese companies to go over overseas at times, right? So so the U.S. companies tend to have users across many countries, across many languages, across many uh, uh, ethnic groups. So, uh, so the products are to, to be more robust to, the, to diverse uh, settings. And what would you say are some of the main pain points that U.S. companies are facing in terms of the AI and machine learning technology? And what are some ways that they're dealing with those? Or what are some maybe some tools that you're seeing that are helpful? Like I said, in our survey, if you ask people what are some of the main pain points, the more advanced companies cite lack of data. So let's look at lack of data, right? So right now we are in an environment where uh, the largest companies in the largest countries seemingly have an advantage, right? Because they have more users. And the more users you have, the more data you have, the better your models are. So that's a bit of a a challenge for upstart companies so who want to enter a space because they, they don't they just don't have the user base. So I think that 
couple of hopeful signs there. One is there are certain domains where you can uh, start generating data synthetically using, let's say, GANs, generative adversarial networks, or even some of these simulation platforms and maybe get going faster. And then secondly, there's the companies that create training data sets for these models. They're also using machine learning. So their services are getting better. They're able to generate more data at a lower price. So that might lower the barriers a little bit. So that's on the generation side. And then there's also some movement around companies sharing data with each other, right? So so there's kind of a uh, renewed interest around the topic of data networks and data exchanges. And uh, yeah, so between those two, maybe, uh, and of course, people are constantly trying to uh, come up with new open data initiatives. So uh, as far as lack of data, I do think that uh, while the big companies in the big countries still have an advantage, maybe uh, there might be some hopeful signs there. So then the other main challenge for companies who describe themselves as having much more sophisticated AI and ML practice is a skills gap, right? So lack of skilled people. So a couple of things happening there. One, as we noted, there's some amount of democratization happening as we enter this kind of implementation phase. So more and more people are gaining experience and gaining training to enter the space. And then in parallel, that there's a certain amount of automation happening even within the data science and data data space, right? So uh, I think the listeners of this podcast are familiar with this notion of auto ML, which is basically mostly used to describe uh, automatically being able to search through possible models and fit the best possible model to your problem at hand. But more and more people are actually tackling the entire data science pipeline. So to what extent can we automate as many of the steps for data science as possible? And some of that is driven by uh, the need of some companies just because they're supporting too many customers. Each customer needs a custom model and uh, has custom data. So they can't throw bodies at the problem. So they need to use automation tools. But at the same time, the same kind of uh, automation is happening in the data engineering world. So there's... Uh, tools that help uh, data engineers manage infrastructure and and some of the tasks they do. So I guess uh, if you if we think of the main bottlenecks for the, the more mature companies as being lack of data and lack of skilled people, while those remain challenges, I think there's some solutions. And so all of this made me think about, too, the GDPR rules that went into effect earlier this year. What have you noticed across the industries? Like, have, have you noted that it's been a particular issue for companies in the U.S., or did they navigate it pretty well? You know, I think that people were able to uh, navigate it, but then uh, the caveat there is, of course, uh, we're still kind of in the very early days of some of these regulations. So I don't know to what extent the regulators have actually gone out and uh, audited the companies and, and to what extent when exactly the strict enforcement regime will come into play. But what it has done it is it's uh, raised the level of awareness in the data community, right? So around the notions of privacy and security. And, you know, this year, actually, I've spent a lot of time 
in the area of privacy preserving analytics and even giving some keynotes on that topic. There, the idea is, uh, can you do analytics, including machine learning, uh, while preserving uh, uh, privacy? And so there are beginning to be tools for doing that. And there are startups who are entering that space. So a lot of excitement, for example, around the notion of being able to do analytics on encrypted data, just being one example. Uh, But yeah, so I think that the, the level of awareness is high. The level of research is high. And so now the question is, uh, when will we start seeing some of these tools that make it easy for people? Because I think that uh, we're still in that realm where uh, maybe some of the tools are a bit researchy. Uh, they work, but maybe they don't scale to uh, large data sets or maybe they're slow. But I expect some of that to change over the next year. So, uh, yeah, so that's an exciting space. And to the extent that, you know, I mean, so in many ways in the data world, privacy and security have kind of converged uh, uh, in some ways, right? Because basically uh, security, on the one hand, you're trying to protect against adversaries and then privacy, you're uh, trying to protect against your data leaking out or being misused. So in in many ways, uh, as far as, uh, as far as data, these two notions are kind of converging. So you're you're really protecting against the misuse of data, either by someone from the outside or even someone you trust today, but may not trust in the future. And so looking ahead, what do you expect to see in 2019 across these data and AI landscapes? So for data, I mean, the obvious thing there is more and more data infrastructure in the cloud. So this is a trend that has been building up. Uh, and it should continue, right? So, in fact, uh, uh, we have a survey coming out in early 2019, and we found that uh, 85% of the respondents indicated that they had some part of their data infrastructure already in the cloud. And then there will be, I think that to the extent that data remains like an important ingredient for ML and AI, I think there will be still a lot of investments in these foundational technologies in order for companies to have a a strong and sustainable AI and ML practice, right? So, and some of these may require new tools that are specific to ML and AI. So, for example, in one of the surveys that we're going to release, we found that uh, a lot of companies are either building or looking at acquiring some sort of data science platform. And a data science platform is usually something that uh, companies consider when they have a team of data scientists working on many different projects who want to collaborate. So it's some sort of indication that they're getting serious with as far as machine learning and AI. But there's other, there's other foundational tools around data lineage, data governance, even model lifecycle management that people are looking at. And then, as I said earlier, uh, there's already some... Uh, tools for automating data science and data engineering. So I expect more progress in automation in both areas. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that we won't need data scientists. It's just that this just means that data scientists can do more. So and uh, maybe what they do might change slightly, right? So some of the more mundane tasks might be automated, and then they'll have to interact with people in the business units more closely. And then I think that uh, one of the areas that I think we got excited about a few years ago 
and then kind of died down a little bit, but I expect it to come back a little bit is IoT, right? So Internet of Things. And I think the earlier use cases tended to focus on municipal and public sector applications. I think there'll still be those applications, but now with the advent of specialized hardware for edge devices that have more capabilities, right? So around computer vision, for example. So there'll be more interesting use cases for IoT involving closed systems, among other things like factories, buildings, homes, and things like that. So specialized hardware, I think, uh, is something that we talked about in a couple of keynotes this year at our AI conference. There's just uh, so many uh, startups building specialized hardware for sensing, uh, for model training and model inference that I think I expect some of them to start really releasing some products soon, early next year. And some have already made announcements, right? So there'll be more options for people wanting to use specialized hardware. So for example, uh, so there's a couple of startups that might have good specialized hardware for training deep learning models. And since deep learning is so important these days and the models are getting bigger and the models take longer to train, that means you have to be more conscious about how you run your experiments because they just take long to finish. So imagine a world where your experiments can run much faster, maybe, I don't know, one-tenth, one-one-hundredth of the time, and then you can run more experiments so your models can get better. So let's see. So I think machine deception is uh, something that will continue to be in the news. So I guess there's two main aspects of this. One is the generation of fake media, right? So that we hear about, right? So fake uh, video, fake images, maybe even fake quotes and fake articles, fake audio. But I think actually the one, the other aspect, so that that gets a lot of attention because it's very impressive demos, very creepy and scary demos. But the other aspect to machine deception is basically the uh, information propagation aspect which is, uh, I think, a lot harder to tackle at the moment. I think on the generation side, while you can generate fake video and fake audio, I think the detectors are slightly ahead, so they can detect whether or not uh, something is fake. The machine learning-based detectors can do a, still a good job doing that. On the information propagation side, right, so once you seed uh, this co- fake content out, into online and then you're able to take advantage of these online platforms. Yeah, so there hasn't been any uh, good solutions to those to that yet as far as I can tell. Yeah, because uh, I, I think the whole machine deception thing has, you know, you have the notion of machines deceiving humans, but you can also have humans deceiving machines, like humans can, uh, a troll army can fool a ranking system for a news feed, right? And then there's, of course, there's machines deceiving machines, so a bot deceiving a news ranking system and things like that. So machine deception will be in the news. And I think uh, the broader topic then would be reliability and safety, right? So one of the things that has been heartening is that to see the researchers and practitioners in the broader data and AI community become seriously interested in things like privacy, security, fairness, and ethics. But I think 2019 will be a year where uh, another uh, topic along these lines will become much more discussed, and that would be reliability and safety. Because as these systems become deployed in 
things like uh, healthcare applications, for example, or autonomous vehicles, or even just machine deception, right? So people have come to realize that we need to understand how these things work and we need some reliability and safety measurements and guarantees before we de- deploy them to production. Yeah, so those are some of I mean, so there's others, but at a high level, those are some of the things. And uh, and of course, in the, R, in the R&D world, the uh, academic conference just keeps selling out. So there's still a lot of exciting uh, research happening. And hopefully we'll see uh, developments in uh, areas outside of deep learning as well. Interesting. Yeah. So before we wrap up, how is all of this that we've been talking about going to manifest itself in our conferences next year? You've got the Strata Data Conference and the Artificial Intelligence Conference, and you've got lots of planning underway. What are some of the overarching themes and approaches for those conferences next year? So yeah, so so for just looking at the Strata Data Conference, in the first half of the year, we have a couple of Strata Data conferences. There's the one at the Moscone Center in San Francisco in uh, late March. And uh, at the end of April, start of May, we will be at the Excel in London. So in both conferences, I think the emphasis there is uh, building technologies, bringing in technologies and cultural practices that will allow you to sustain analytics and machine learning in your organization. That means having all of these foundational technologies in place that we talked about, right? So data ingestion, data governance, ETL, data lineage, data science platform, metadata uh, store, and things like that. So all, you know, various pieces of technology that uh, will be important as you scale the practice of machine learning and AI in your company. In the AI conference, we are we remain focused on you know being the de facto gathering for people interested in applied artificial intelligence so yeah so we will focus on surfacing the most important use cases the most interesting use cases in many many uh, domains and uh, that means uh, showcasing of course the latest research uh, research in deep learning and other branches of machine learning but also helping people grapple with some of the other important considerations we discussed, like privacy and security, fairness, reliability and safety. And and so obviously these are issues that we will cover as well at the Strata Data Conference. So for example, the one in San Francisco, we will showcase a whole day on ethics called the Strata Data Ethics Summit, which I, I highly recommend. And uh, we are... Uh, in uh, all these conferences, besides uh, our technical tutorials in tools and techniques, we will have technical tutorials involving some of these other things that are important, like privacy, ethics, and fairness. And the other thing at both events is to make sure that decision makers, the business audience, the leaders in an organization have the right information. So as I mentioned earlier in our surveys, some of the bottle, some of the main bottlenecks are not technical in nature, right? So one of them is, you know, just cultural, just overcoming kind of cultural resistance to bringing in data and AI into your company. And then the other is just being able to identify and maintain a portfolio of use cases for these technologies. Yeah, so we will focus on helping people understand the capabilities of the technology, strengths and limitations, right? So that's why we run executive briefings 
at both of these events and showcase case studies that are aimed at the non-technical and business user as well, right? So, so we'll have two types of case studies, one more technical, one not so technical, so that the business decision makers can benefit from seeing how their peers are using and succeeding with some of these technologies as well. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been fun having you in the hot seat for a change. Thank you. So to keep up with the latest trends in big data, machine learning, and AI, make sure you follow our two Twitter accounts, at Strataconf and at TAIConf. So please rate our show and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud or Spotify and never miss an episode.